You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss new participation data, which both People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association have published. These data, measured by the Physical Activity Council, describe recent trends and participation rates for individual outdoor rec activities, allowing us to better understand how Americans are sticking with, or not sticking with, outdoor recreation in the years since COVID-19 began affecting the U.S. Let's get into it. Let's, you and I, Kelly, talk about some participation data, because I have, like, hot off the press participation data from the Physical Activity Council that I'm amped about. You and me both, brother, because we both participate in the Physical Activity Council along with yes. what it's like nine other organizations now besides us. I think we're up to 11 with USA Football because it's golf, tennis, yeah. health and racket, snow, outdoor, sports and fitness, bike, people for bikes. There's there's somebody there's one other group, I think. Anyway, it's I mean, I was at the table when that group came together in 2007 and we did it so that we could we could basically pool our efforts to measure participation across virtually every physical activity you can think of. I mean, we measure across 117 physical activities. Um, and it allows us to, to look at behavior across the active spectrum, right? So, yeah. you know, somebody that's hiking is probably also biking. We can see that. We can see how often they do it. We can see who they are. We can see where they live. And, and they answer a plethora of questions about where they participate, how frequently, things like that. So we're all getting this data from the same source. I just thought I'd throw that out as a preamble so people listening could understand where this data comes from. Totally. So tell me what categories you measure, because I have I've got I've got it easy, right? Like cycling is a, is a smaller umbrella. We've got cycling on paved surfaces, cycling on unpaved surfaces, BMX. And then we have two versions of indoor. We have indoor cycling as a member of a group. So that would be your like gym classes, Orange Theory, all that sort of stuff. Is that, would that in, be would that be Peloton? Well, the next category would be indoor cycling as an individual. So I, you know what? What an interesting question about like your participation in a virtual gathering. I would assume that still as an individual. Um, Me too. How interesting. Let's let's see if we can learn a little bit more about that. But all that to say, so those are my five categories. Paved, unpaved, BMX, and then indoor as an individual, indoor as a member of a group. Uh, what all do you have? I start with adventure racing and then with wakeboarding. It's just 51 categories. <laughs> we, so I'm not, I'm not going to waste your time reading through them, but yeah. anything, you, anything you're likely to get wet and dirty doing, that's outdoor. Outdoor. <laughs> I love it. Does it also so include like, some of like this, the simpler out-the-door activities like walking for fitness and, and that sort of stuff? That one at walking for fitness is a tricky one because we don't, we, we, we definitely analyze it. We look at it. Yeah. We do not, we don't count it as if there are 115 million Americans that are walking for fitness outdoors every year, which is, I mean, that's right around um, just inching up to around 40% of Americans say at least once, yeah. you know, I went out for a walk. So the reason we don't count that, and but we do look at it, is we consider it a gateway activity. So we see people people walking and then hiking, right? Because this, the dirty mm, little shit sure. outdoor, right? The gateway is only just walking on dirt. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, so hiking is not as intimidating as it may seem. It's just it can, hiking. It it's, it's just walking. Yeah, it can be. 
It can't can be. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the the barrier to entry is is, is pretty low, right? Yeah, basically shoes, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of something it. with a high top, so you don't hurt your ankle. That's about it. I don't. I I I've never worn a high top on trail. Really? I once just saying never. No, I'm and I, more I, risk averse than you. Yeah, I was a trail runner for many many years, like a hardcore one yeah. that rolled her ankles constantly. Now I know what the problem was. <laughs> mm, there you go. Now I've got yeah. this thing where if I step, if my instep ends up lower than the outside of my foot and I put a bunch of weight on it, there's something, mm-hmm. some, some horrible injury that, that I basically caused myself maybe 15 years ago that just, my, oh, it's just, a, it's the most painful thing. It like makes the top of my head tingle. Think. Oh, that sucks. So maybe I should have been wearing high top something to support my ankles. But yeah, I mean, yeah. most tra- a lot of trails are super accessible. It's, you just have to get there. I mean, a lot of yeah. the access issues have to do with transportation, right? And safety. So especially for women and people of color, their safety issues. But yeah, we so we measure, you know, hiking is our biggest outdoor activity. Mm-hmm. And that's about 60 million Americans. Um, you have it. You're one of the top five. Bike is one of the top five. We add all of your categories together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we're also looking at camping, fishing, hunting. Um, some of the, the those are some of the big outdoor activities. And then we look at really weird little ones like ice climbing. Um, and that's separate from traditional and mountaineering. Ice climbing. Ice, ice climbing is very particular. So we get all the demographics cool. and crossover on ice climbing. And we do yeah. things like, a, you know, adventure racing, triathlon. And we can see things like pickleball, for example, because pickleball <laughs> is so red hot right now. Oh my God. So that's but a category I, that you report? No, we don't. It, we don't. We actually do not include pickleball and outdoor. It's considered oh, okay. an other activity, same as tennis yeah. is considered other activity. You've got to be getting wet and dirty. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. Maybe like okay. contact with the earth. Like you're going to roll around in dirt or you're going to hug a cliff, hug mm. a tree. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. We I also do, do all the. Pa- all the paddle stuff. So stand up paddle, kayak, canoe, raft, all of those yeah. things. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, a lot of what I'm going to re- be reporting on is is just aggregate outdoor. You know, I do, I dive into granular data at the category level a couple of times to, you know, to illustrate a point in the report. But we are also offering 24-7 365 access to what we call single sport reports. So you can, you can, as a, as a OIA member, mm-hmm. you can go in and, and look at several different categories and download that data and see all the crossovers, see the demographics yeah. um, and look at it in terms of like, look at your consumer base. If you're in paddle, you can see, you know, that your consumer base in terms of gender and um, age and race and ethnicity, income, education, you can get, you can get, pretty far down the road in your segmentation process by using the more granular data at the category level. And we've got a ton of it because we cover all of those categories. So one thing I will say about the single sports, there's one set of categories that we do not cover. And that is snow sports because SIA has dominion over the snow sports data. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I know that because I was the one that built that castle. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was, it was impenetrable. Nobody was going to take our data, but we can we we talk about snow sports top line, but SIA mm-hmm. has as SIA is taking the lead and doing a pretty good job of of really getting into the granular um, level of snow sports data, including what's really interesting right now is backcountry. So you know those, oh, those yeah. are the kinds okay. of data points that I'm looking at, especially 
you know, looking at downhill versus backcountry. I mean, back backcountry is growing leaps and bounds, um, and it's super interesting to watch. So, yeah, it's we cover a whole bunch of different categories, four seasons long. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we 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 collect eighteen thousand interviews per year with with Americans that we're trying to build or trying to to build a representative panel so that we're getting a a pretty decent look at what America is doing on at yeah. the sixty thousand foot level. And our margin of error at the top line is less than plus or minus one. Yeah. So, so remind me uh, the ages of participants that we're measuring. Um, ages six and older. Thank Americans you. ages six and older. I knew that yeah. I was doing that for our listeners. I don't, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I, I don't um, want to bury the league. Cause I've, I want to, this is our headline. Um, yeah. In 2022, uh, outdoor recreation participation increased 2.3% to 168.1 million Americans or 55.1% of our population ages six and over participating in outdoor recreation. Heck yeah. Pretty Good cool, one. right? Yeah, yeah I, I I think our headline, and, and this is the same that we had from our U.S. bicycling participation study report that we did uh, late last year and we published earlier this year, is that we've seen continued growth over our bump during COVID. So we had uh, 78 million Americans riding in 2020 when we saw participation soar, and now we have even more. We We had just about 80 last year in 21, and now in 22, we're measuring 81. And so it's it's uh, helping to answer this question about who's going to stick around when everything goes back to normal, like quote unquote normal. Like we we had all of our constraints sort of change during COVID. We had fewer other activities we were engaging in that side of the house. We had fewer opportunities to stay um, active and healthy as gyms and health clubs shut down and everything. So everyone was going outside. Now that all that stuff's back open, do we expect everyone to revert back to whatever their pre-pandemic habits were? Uh, and so far for us, the answer is it looks like a lot of folks have stuck around. And and there's still more qualitative research that we need to do on our end to learn about um, the near and mid future, you know, and what we can do to make sure we're being active and retaining those participants. But for the purpose of these reports, our headline is that uh, we've continued growth over 2020, which is killer for us. It, it's yeah. not the same in every category. I mean, some categories like indoor writing uh, in a group got hit hard during COVID and like haven't recovered because that uh, whatever folks substituted away to go do, you know, if they were going to go ride indoors in their basement, sort of at, at home, um, or if they were going to go ride outside, I, they tended to stay in those new activities as opposed to going back to riding indoor in a group. But overall cycling for, for any type of cycling, you know, like it check in any one of those five boxes of our different types uh, we've seen continued growth. Yeah, I was actually surprised by the continued growth in our in our most accessible activity, hiking. Um, I expected after the pandemic, um, at least smoothed out. And there are different arguments about whether we keep saying that, whether it's over or not. But um, yeah. as we as we as our new behaviors become normalized, right, and I think we're mm-hmm. at that point now. Um, I I wasn't I didn't know what to expect honestly. I, when I when I got the data, I opened it, and the first thing I looked at was hiking. Because that's mm-hmm. that's our that's really our our gateway activity. That's where we see the new people come in. Um, yeah. That's that's where I'm going to see that I'm going to see the health of the overall um, outdoor recreation market reflected in the number of people hiking, or at least that's a good indicator of the health. And so when I opened it mm-hmm. this year, I was I was actually surprised we had 
over 800,000 new hikers this year. Um, so it went up. And the interesting thing in the data wasn't that it grew again. The yeah. interesting thing was that the the people that were coming in were hiking frequently enough to be considered core. They they really? the the increase in in core hikers. So that's anybody that hikes. It's eight plus a year, right? It's not that mm-hmm. many. It's not that high of a bar, and it's about it's about thirty percent of hikers that are that are considered core. But that number went up. The number of people who are hiking frequently went up by almost seven percent. It was six point eight, I believe. And casual hiking was actually down 0.02. So it was it was nominal, it was flat. But I thought yeah. that was super interesting. And that to me, that is the first hint that we're not gonna we're not gonna struggle with a massive and and um we'll call it unexpected rapid disassembly of the outdoor participant base. Yeah. It's it's sticky. And once people once people start doing it, they tend to do it. Like they don't, mm-hmm. they don't tend to leave. They can tend to keep hiking or keep riding a bike or, or walking or, you know, birding, birding and wildlife viewing did really well in 22. And that's another part of diversity. That's really interesting to me. We've got a whole bunch of people 55 and up who are suddenly participating in all kinds of outdoor recreation. Yeah. And I've said, I've said before, it's, it's something like it's, it's a, that cohort is growing because of the boomers. And now we're seeing Gen X beginning to retire, right? So we're seeing generations that that we always told us, you know, we've been hearing we're going to be so much more active than previous generations. Now I'm seeing it in the data, especially it just accelerated during the pandemic. And my mm-hmm. new participant group, the, all the people that are brand new to outdoor this year, there are 7 million of them, brand new to outdoor, um, much more diverse than our, our current participant base. And our young participants, those that are 17 and under, much more diverse, like it definitely reflects what census projections looks like in say 2030 and 2060. Um, really interesting. We are, we, what we're doing to increase access and increase diversity um, yeah. through programs like Thrive is working. It's working and we can see it in the data. And that's a really exciting finding in this year's participation data. Yeah. We had a, um, you know, almost no change, but like a slight decline in our core and a huge increase in our casual participants in cycling. And that's, that's pretty consistent across categories is that um, the the folks who are maintaining this, this rate of growth are coming in at that casual level, which I think if I'm imagining that my own trajectory through cycling and the trajectory of those that I've ridden with over the years, um, we might be able to expect the increase in core that'll come after a couple of years of dabbling in cycling and then getting all the equipment and all the um, apparel and all the accessories and stuff that goes with it. And then you just get sucked into it. And all of a sudden you're a core participant, but um, for now, yeah, we, we've seen a little bit of a decline in the core, um, but a really healthy increase in the casual riders that, that I'm looking forward to um, sticking around for a bit. Yeah, that's actually, you know, you just set me up perfectly to talk about outings. Um, yeah, out, we're seeing outings decrease. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. we were we were, we were were in the 80s. Now we're down into the 60s for average number of outings per participant. Um, and I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been thinking about whether or not we should worry about that. And I, and I actually examined it for youth. So I examined it for the age group 6 to 12. To see what's going on there. Indeed, there the no, the, about seventy percent of kids participate in outdoor. Right, most of it's yeah. at local parks, local playgrounds, but most of them do. Most of them get out, and and you know they 
tool around the woods with their parents. They can go paddling, things like that. Um, so the number of outings per kid has gone down pretty significantly. I mean, it was it was up in the hundreds 20 years ago, and it's you know we're we're floating around the 50s and 60s for those kids today. And but when you think about how you know the, what what's happened in the world in the past 20 30 years, it makes sense. I mean, there there are a lot of things that kids are expected to do. I mean, people joke about Gen X that you know we we were latchkey kids and we just left on our own. We didn't have the internet and mm-hmm. we just kind of basically hung out in the woods and did dangerous things that we know <laughs> that we won't talk about anymore. Um, yeah, the kids today have a lot more programming, a lot more, um, a lot more information coming at them. They live in a different world, yeah. so I, you know there are there are a lot of reasons that we can think of and to explain the the um, the decline in outings. And I'm not sure it's you know this is it's time to to turn on the alarms for the industry at all. I mean, it's not that time. It's time to try and understand why that's happening. And actually, it's a neat piece of data because it gets everybody thinking. Everybody, like, why is that happening? Why is there a long-term mm-hmm. um, decline in outings? Is that a bad thing? Yeah, more people are participating. A larger percentage of the population is participating now than they ever did, ever. But yeah. they're they're just not doing it as much. And when I think about it from a brand perspective, I'm like, well, you know, that core, it represents 80% of my sales. So I'm not real psyched to see that core shrink. But at the same time, and it forces you to think about your brand in the casual and the core and the core um, markets. And, yeah. and ca- casual is a, a definite target that I think if if you're a brand that that only does core, that only serves a core, it might be time to you know reconsider that a little bit and think about having some entry kits, you know, things that will help people get yeah. into the yeah. activity that you want to, them to get into, and you know, find ways just to to hook them in. And get them interested, and and they're already outdoors, so you know you, you have good opportunities here. I know I've always sort of thought as the cross participant as the lowest hanging fruit. If someone's already off their couch, already away from screens, already prioritized time outside, it's so much easier to convert someone doing another activity into doing your activity than it is to convert someone from doing no activity to your activity. You know exactly. It's easy um, to it's easier to make a good day better. Than to make a bad or good. <laughs> That's cool. That was David Injimi's favorite saying. Who's David? <laughs> David Injimi was the uh, the president of of SIA for thirty nine years. God, he was my God. boss. Thank you. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. he was my boss at Snow Sports. And I just saw him. I just had lunch with him. He's the coolest guy. I mean, I just I loved working for that guy. I mean, David David Injimi. Just I you know really couldn't say enough good things about that guy. I want to have him on the podcast. To talk sure. about the history of snow sports. We can do whatever right. we want. It's our podcast. We run the show. I know. That's so cool. Let's do we it. do what we we do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh you and I have talked a little bit before about like brands sort of limiting success by only selling to folks that that look like the people working at that brand, you know, and, and how branching out and meeting participants where they are is going to be a key to growth. And and I think the way that you sort of framed core versus casual, um, it exemplifies that perfectly. Like it, entry-level kits would be so important to getting folks into the market to like begin creating familiarity and then preference for your brand. Why not meet them in that casual spot and then ride with them into that core spot? And then you have customer for, for a much longer time, for many more yeah. hours. And I'm going to give you an N equals one example. Two weeks ago, yeah. three, three weeks ago, I headed up to Orvis Hill Country um, with my government affairs team. 
um, basically just to get an experience. And and they gave us a fly fishing experience. I'd never fly fished before. They showed me how to do oh, you it. Never fly fished before. Never fly fished before. So yeah, I learned. I, like I learned it. the basics. And mm-hmm. um, and I was frankly terrible at it. And the and everyone is. You know, there's okay. yeah, except that you know my young colleague Hannah who can do f- anything. I love her, but it was like, it was that moment in my life where I was like, I used to be her and now I'm old. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it was that moment, but it was, so I was enjoying it. I was just sort of enjoying the movement of the, you know, of the, oh, the yeah. flying across the water the and just sort of, yeah, just kind of getting into that. And I caught three trout. I Heck caught yeah. three fish. Nobody else caught anything. It was you just me. I do. And I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Right now. Perfect. And it was, I was, and now, now all I can think of is I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this Orvis um, fly fishing kit that includes a rod and, you know, the whole yeah. thing. It's, re- it's really nice and it's expensive. And I'm going to get into this. And I started reading up about where I can go fly fishing in, you know, yeah. in front, and it turns out this is a really great place to fly fish. Really yeah, great. That's why I was a little surprised you hadn't ever done it before. I mean, and it just seems like a great activity for me to do. I'm like ready to buy waders. I'm ready to buy the whole thing. I'm ready. Do it. And all and all it took, all it took was two hours at Hill Country of a guy just saying, Yeah, this is how you do it. Yes, you're terrible at it. Look, you caught a fish. Yeah. <laughs> you're terrible at it. You know what? The, some of the I just love outdoor rec activities that are still fun, even when you're not great, right? Like snowboarding. Yeah. I'm not a great snowboarder. I'm I'm a perfectly fine snowboarder, but I can have so much fun being just fine. You know, like I, I grew up in Texas. I visited Colorado once a year and I'd go snowboard for a few days. Um, some of my friends that grew up here are like amazing snowboarders and skiers and I'm fine, but I still have a great deal of fun. And if you can just catch a couple fish on the water, uh, have fun and then find that package of goods that allows you to enter the sport without this, this like barrier of information and uh access to those products then that's that's so key right finding the rod reel uh net waders hat vest whatever it is they made it super easy for me there's a restore retail store on site <laughs> amazing that's good i could i could have bought the 20 gauge i was shooting too but i you know i've got to figure out what to do with the 12 gauge the sh- they had a yeah. they had a, a skeet shoot a skeet shooting range where there were 10 stations mm-hmm. right and and that was awesome and i was also not great at that but man that's fun i mean was there's it, nothing were you it was from different but sta- different stations I I, so yeah i think i might I mean. call that sporting clays are you like walking through yeah. the woods to like whole different setups yes yes yeah sporting clays yeah Except that's the quickest that, way to go through a hundred shells and just destroy your shoulder yeah that's that's we had a so much. we didn't walk we had a golf cart <laughs> oh well, the rest of us walk, Kelly. <laughs> With you know, it's like four boxes of shells in our vest. Yeah, these guys. Had, it was unlimited shells, unlimited clays, and um, you know, they the their golf cart had places for your gun. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And I and you know, I was just imagining that some of these guys are going to have that golf cart on a golf course at some point. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, it was it was it was super fun. I like shooting clays. I I do. That was fun. But I had never fly fished before, and yeah. I was I was I'm taken with it. So when we think about getting people into these things, yeah, it's my my little m equals one moment is is important as an anecdote. But those anecdotes, we've got to, we've got 
to make them add up. And boy, it's not that hard. It was not that hard to sell me. And yes, I'm an outdoor girl, but this is just not something that I've done. Yeah. It took an hour and I'm ready to dump like a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. I did a study for, um, for the state of Pennsylvania. Let me think it was the, uh, fish and boat commission, I think is the agency. Yeah. Uh, Evaluating the effectiveness of a few different interventions to try and get folks interested in fishing. Uh, So we called it R3 was the term in the fishing world, recruit, retain, and reactivate. And the goal was to get folks interested in fishing to the point where they would buy a license and then continue buying a license for like three out of the next five years or something like that. Right. And there's all these interventions ranging from like a booth at your local hunt fish shop or your Bass Pro or whatever, where they try to get you licensed or something, just like some, some like quick intervention where, where folks are like crossing paths and uh, getting names and all this stuff. Uh, the most effective intervention that we measured was a group of, I think like 20 to 30 women who signed up for this program where a Pennsylvania fishing boat took them uh, for like a weekend getaway to a cabin where you had lessons, you learned about all the gear, you learned how um, how to read water and you learned what flies are called what and what time of day to use what. And then like the retention rates were like 80 or 90% would continue buying into the future and and just getting someone to the place where the activity happens, showing them how to do it and then giving them the tools they need to be successful going forward with information, with products and with like just that, that motivation, you know, like just, um, instilling in them like, Hey, this is fun. You're going to enjoy this. That That's uh, wildly successful. Plus they're learning with other women that they can be friends with and go. At, yeah. Participate yeah in the activity you, you build the community. It's a built-in community when you do that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and Pennsylvania it, must go ahead. It, it was one of the more expensive interventions, right? Obviously like a booth at a retailer is pretty inexpensive, but in terms of the effectiveness mm-hmm. is far and away the most effective method of, of creating new recruits into an activity. Yeah. I learned a lot about this from snow sports, frankly. I mean, snow sports has a, has processes to teach somebody how to ski well enough or, or yeah. ride well enough to, to, to go out and have a decent time on their own. And we used to talk about it as the three, you know, the three uh, day rule where basically, and it's not just three lessons you've got, to, it's three days in a row that you've, that you've got to keep up and, and try and learn it. And that's, you know, that's mm. on average, there'll be people that it takes a little longer and there'll be some people that, you know, you show them the basics and all of a sudden they're shredding down the mountain in front of you. And you're like, what the actual, but <laughs> it's snow sports has a, it's, it has a really, a really um, robust process to, to get people engaged in downhill and, you know, to a certain extent cross country too. Do we have the same thing in hiking and biking? I mean, fishing, I'm going to say that was a great experience. Paddling, I've had that kind of experience where they take you out and show you the basics and you're with a group so that you're seeing cool stuff and you're with people that might want to do it again with you and you build that community. You know, I think maybe we need more, you know, just as much of that as we can get in the industry. It's, it's the beginner kits. It's the, you know, programs that get kids involved. It's the programs that get families involved. It's, it's just an amazing, um, and a beautiful place to socialize. And we can't forget that it. connection, the human connection part. And I just, just pointing out more about a little bit more about crossover. I mean, if you're looking to find, for example, hikers know that 94% of campers also hike. So you can advertise yeah. campers, vice versa. I mean, these are ways that you can, that you can actually, 
basically save your marketing budget by just, you know, targeting more surgically, more That's effectively. It. Using the data that you and I are providing our members. Yeah. That's and it. I mean, it, honestly, it's, it's, you know, there, there's so many business uses for this. I mean, I've, I've, yeah. I've helped many a budding company with their, with their business plan, use this data companies that are very mature, just looking at this to try and find what trends are going on in the participant base. So I always include, like, I like to include tasty bits of data in, in the report, just, Ooh, and, yeah. and I like to look bits? for them too. I have tasty bits. Yeah. Or, right. uh, no, what, what we, we coined a term early in the podcast. I think it was like data, data snacks. snacks. It's yeah. data snacks. I got a couple of data snacks locked and loaded. You, you hit me with yours first. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to share a couple with you. Um, let's see. Skateboarding had the highest growth rate in outdoor recreation over the past three years with oh, an wow. average average annual growth rate of 34%. They are adding another wow. third every year. How does the electrification of like long boards and one wheel skateboards, is that, do you think that's captured in there too? I think it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. But we haven't, we haven't separated, we haven't separated it out yet. I'm considering that. I'm well, considering we have. The- and so I'm going to, I'm going to popcorn to my own data snack here. Uh, we asked about electric bicycle use, and we found that in 22, about 12%, so just almost one out of eight riders who spent some time on a bike in, in the calendar year 22, uh, rode an electric bicycle, which is huge. That's up from 8% the previous year. And so I think, you know, like we were watching this category emerge as a very popular activity, both converting traditional bicyclists or non-powered bicyclists into e-bike riders and bringing new people into the sport that wouldn't otherwise be riding a bike, right? We're replacing yeah. car trips with e-bike trips. We're addressing physical limitations of older folks, of, of those who've had injuries by allowing them to go further, longer, faster, keep up with their friends by having an electric bicycle. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to this number continuing to grow in our next report and the following report and all this as as electrification takes over the the bike market. Yeah, I think, and I, and I think it's going to be fun to watch. Right? And you know, I yeah. own, I own a lot of e-bikes, but it's re- it's going to be really interesting as we think about diversity in the market. And I'm thinking about diversity in the outdoor market all the time. And as I see, you know, the new participant and the young participant looking way more diverse. And I think about, you know, all the, all the things that we're doing to try and grow participation and reach our target audience. And, and, you know, that's something else to consider in considering who's doing these things and, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like? Um, sometimes, you know, you end up in, in the e-bike category, for example, you've got a lot of 55 plus consumers. I keep bringing up this group yeah. because, I, because this group can afford electric bikes, right? And they've got time right, to right. ride them. That's just one example of how to look over the, the various demographics that we're providing to you in this data. It's really, and it's really important to understand. It's really important to understand the trends moving forward too. And we cover that, you know, and just thinking, thinking about it, um, you know, a higher percentage of American seniors are participating in outdoor recreation. In 2018, only 28% of seniors are participating. Today, they make up one in every five participants in outdoor. Oh, Boom. wow. Yeah, that's why I keep bringing it up. But that's that's what this data helps us do is, is look for areas where outdoor companies, outdoor brands, outdoor retailers, outdoor reps, and even guides have more opportunity and where they should be looking for their next opportunity. Amazing. I think that's it. I, th- I think I think you might have just ended it there. I don't, I don't think I have anything else to add. Amazing. Our, our mic, yeah. it's, it's too big to it's, drop. <laughs> our mic, yeah, it's, it was expensive. Please don't drop this mic. It's a megaphone. It might I didn't as well even, be. Yeah, this thing's huge. I meant to do, I've got the coolest little hot, hot spot of data. 
Um, so if 55% of Americans are participating in outdoor, you think, oh, okay, mm-hmm. but let's, let's do some relative measures on that. I love this part. I like that I did this because I asked that question in my head. I'm like, who fucking cares? Who cares? That? I'm like, a lot of people care. Yeah. 34% of Americans attended sporting events, like baseball, football, hockey, whatever. Baseball, oh, yeah. Okay. Like a professional or semi-professional event. Okay. Yeah. 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 34%. 51% of Americans read a book. So we're we're running ahead of the readers now. <laughs> More people participated Goodness in outdoor than read a than read a book. Um, only seventy percent of Americans work full time, so you know we're competing with the full time workers yeah. cohort. And the the one that we're definitely losing to seventy four percent of Americans drink coffee. Hmm. I bet I okay. I bet ninety percent of outdoor participants drink coffee. So there's a lot yeah, of right. crossover there. Yeah, I I'll drink a hot thermos of coffee after i come back from a hot summer bike ride too it it confuses some folks but i i'm a person of routine and the hot coffee is a big part of my late morning routine um so how interesting that more americans participate in outdoor rec than attend sporting events it would be what a world it would be if we could spend the same money that we spend on those sporting venues on creating safe and easily accessible places for people to get outside and, and do their thing yeah, there are more of that. There are more of us than there are of them. But I mean, we've yeah. got an amazing brewery here in the Golden area, uh, right at the trailhead of one of my favorite mountain bike rides. And, you know, we should just take the money and create bars and restaurants and and hangs at trailheads so that in, instead of, uh, you know, multi million billion dollar stadiums. But yeah, I kind of want to. Maybe this want, is where like, it starts. I would like to have like a really cool retailer. A really cool sort of outdoorsy place that like, you know, whenever I go skiing, there's always a bar and a restaurant. Why can't there yeah. be when I hike at a retail shop and, you know, somebody there to help me understand what I'm about to get myself into. I mean, I don't want these things, but a beginner might You go there <laughs> and they're like, oh, I so say you go for a three mile hike. You're going to this is these are the things you're going to see and hear and this is what you can expect. I mean, yeah. that kind of a, that kind of a beginning experience would be amazing. I would love that. That would be, be great. Yeah. That kind of goes against our, we had an episode about um, dispersing outdoor participants through spaces so that there's less congestion and, and fewer incidents as a result of congestion, but. This could help. This, this could, could help. help. Think of it. Don't yeah. think of it as, I mean, yeah, you know, nobody's going to pay to put a, 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 you know, a retail establishment up where a bunch of people aren't going. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Sort of a pie in the sky idea, but. You know, it's it, it's. I'm just happy to see that um, we've got an, a a majority of the population who has yeah. that. No, almost Heck nobody yeah. has a majority. And I and I was thinking about this as my government affairs team was talking about Capitol Hill and you know walking around and walking to an office and talking about outdoor recreation and public lands and why those things are important. And you know, I said, who else walks through the door? With 55% of the population on their side. I mean, it's a majority. Yeah. You've got a majority of your constituency does this. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, um, that that was the the one other thing that that sort of blew me away about the data and really thinking about it. Like there's there's there are comparisons, but they're not a lot. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll I'll take a comparison with coffee. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.